Welcome back to What the Fertility Season 3. This morning, we are sitting down with Sunshine Hansen, a three-time surrogate herself and the founder and president of Surrogacy Is. Surrogacy Is has helped over 1,500 candidates start their surrogacy journey since 2020. Sunshine, during her own surrogacy experience, identified what was lacking in multiple of the agencies that she had been working with, and with the support from her husband, Kyle, launched Surrogacy Is. Welcome, Sunshine. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and meet you guys. I never expected if anybody asked me what I was going to do when I grew up, I wouldn't say I was going to have a surrogacy agency, but I, um, I was a high school English teacher when I first like heard of surrogacy. It was something that I knew maybe loosely that people did, but I didn't, it didn't seem like it was something that ever I would do. It seemed like something for other people, like people that are so amazing that I'm just like, I've, I'm so risk averse and I'm very like pragmatic and I don't need to take any unnecessary risks. But, um, I had a friend who had done surrogacy and I watched how it impacted her life and the relationship that she built with her intended parents. And it just seemed like a really beautiful experience. And her family seemed to really thrive from having that experience. So I asked her about it and she was like, oh, you'd be an amazing surrogate. So she sent me over to her agency um, that she had gone through. And I didn't know the first thing about the, how to find. So I was just relying on everything that she told me. And I went with it, that agency. I didn't do any research. I was just like, I'm going to do this. Um, and I just jumped in with both feet when I decided, although my husband was very hesitant, I have to work on him for things. Um, like all the animals that we've rescued and adopted too. It's always like, it's always a no, it's a very firm no. And then it's like, that's the starting point for me to start getting to work on, on making it a yes. So I had to do the same thing for surrogacy with him and it took him a little while and he reluctantly got on board, but we ended up having such a great journey with the intended parents that I carried for the first time. They were a gay couple from Australia and they were going to be first time dads and they never, you know, they were just five years married and really excited to start their family. And we loved them so much and it was so cool to watch them become whole. And I really thought that I would just do this one journey and I would just get it out of my system. And I totally, the opposite happened. It's now taken over my whole system. <laughs> like it, it's my personality now is surrogacy. Um, so I went on to do it another time and I carried for um, a mom and a dad. And when I read their profile, I really wanted to help a gay couple again, just because I was passionate about the LGBTQ community. I have a son who's trans and I, I, I want to be supportive of that. But when I read her profile, I just like bawled. It was her story was so heartbreaking of what she had grown up wanting to have a family and then how she struggled. And then she uh, almost lost her baby and she lost her uterus when she was carrying her daughter and she almost died. And, um, their baby almost died. They're both perfectly healthy and beautiful now, but she told the story so well because she was also a high school English teacher like I was. So I connected with her really in that. And then I went on to carry two babies for her. So, um, when I decided to leave teaching, I, you know, ugh, teaching it's my, I loved teaching, but it takes a lot. It takes a lot out of you and it doesn't return a lot. So I had to do something different and I, I wanted to do something passion driven. So I just, like, well, I loved surrogacy. I loved being a surrogate. So I got a job doing marketing for an IVF doctor and did that for a little bit and then did intake for a surrogacy agency that was 
taught me a lot about behind the scenes of how surrogates are recruited and how they're maybe not fully respected and maybe a little bit dehumanized in the process from some of these surrogacy agencies. And it was really one of those like shocks to the system that I was so disappointed because I really was excited to do this thing that was so meaningful and beautiful to me. And then I found out that people are taking advantage of these women and certainly, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't awful, but it was just little, little things like a surrogate says she wants to match with a local couple and she wants to have a relationship. And I knew that the agency didn't have any couples like that. We only had Chinese intended parents that didn't speak any English and didn't want a relationship and wanted it to be a transaction. And we weren't telling her that, you know, we had to tell her, okay, sure. We'll write that down on your profile. And then, well, actually we have these intended parents who are really interested in working with you. And that just felt really yucky. So I left that job and I started doing case management for another agency that was really making beautiful matches with parents and surrogates. And I was like, okay, so there's a, there's a difference. Like both things exist and I want people to know more because when you're a surrogate and you're looking on Google, you're, you're at the mercy of what people put on their website and what they say, and you have to take their word for it. Like there's not a way to get behind the curtain and see how are you really operating under there? You know? Um, so that's why we started surrogacy is so I could learn all these agencies and, we would get on with the owners and really just grill them on their process and, and their ethos and why and how they do everything. When we started in 2020 and um, we interviewed maybe a hundred agencies and we only ultimately referred to about 28 of them. And over time it narrowed down and down because our, I think a lot of agencies were upset with that process because our standard is really high. It's would I go there? What if my sister said I wanted to be a surrogate? Would I say go to this agency? And if the answer is no, then I can't send anybody there. So that's really hard for some agencies to hear no. And maybe they're they're doing fine. They're okay. But I wasn't looking for okay. I was looking for great. Well, and I so. think that's what's so unique when you look at your team, right? I mean, your team's grown to is it like over 35? 36 now, 36. And, yeah. and the majority, from what I can see, like, but 70% have been surrogates themselves, right? Yeah, gosh, it probably higher than that. Even I think there's, I think we just hired our first two employees on our agency that are not surrogates, but they still are passionate about surrogacy and helping intended parents and surrogates and family building. Um, they know people that have. And, and I think like, through. like you said, right. Like, you know, some agencies and I went through that with like the adoption side. I mean, everything you've said on the surrogacy side, very similar, like almost false promises, almost manipulative of the intended parent because they know we're so desperate mm. um, to do this, but it's, it's bringing life into this world. And it's so much more than just a transaction. And so to have people on your team that have lived it is so impressive. I was just absolutely overwhelmed when I was reading through your team and, and watching your surrogates um, that you have videos of. I think you made a good point. I would love for listeners to understand um, the uniqueness of surrogacy is. So you're matching surrogates with agencies. Is that correct? That's how we started. So we we did we did that exclusively until June of last year when we decided to launch our agency because we 
for whatever reason, um, have been really successful in attracting surrogate candidates. And we have so many women that come to us and are wanting to start a journey or even just explore it and be like, I just want to learn and see if maybe I want to even dip my toes in this. I don't want to be pressured into anything. And I want to, I'm not sure. I just, I want to know more. And we talk to so many women. That's why my team is so large because their schedules are booked out all day long, just with people that have taken our quiz and scheduled the call and want to learn more. And um, there's so many people to talk to. So we started to get to a volume where I, when we were referring surrogates to the agencies that we work with that we really love, we were seeing them get to a point where they were overloaded, that they couldn't actually help everybody to the same standard of service that they were originally. Which is wild to me because I hear, I mean, you know, Amanda and I are in this community heavily and we have, I think we just posted for a family that is looking for a surrogate and they're like, we've been waiting and we can't find anybody. And then to hear you, you have a 90 day match guarantee. Is that right? We do because we we have so many, so many surrogates that come to us and it started with advertising, but I think it's also a lot of word of mouth now because we have surrogates that we had their first, you know, referred them to an agency for their first journey or coming back for their second and third journey with us, whether it's with our partner agencies. And we don't actually do it, any of our, our team that are in my team is all, like always pregnant <laughs> and always well, I saw like, they were all like, like four times surrogate. <laughs> I was like, oh my yeah, God, I was like, okay, we're going to do it again. Um, but we don't do, we won't manage their journeys or match them with intended parents through our agency, just because of the conflict of interest. I want them to feel supported. I don't want them to feel like they have to please their employer or they, you know, it's just, it's too much. It's already such a complicated relationship. And I know a lot of agencies do match their own employees, but I don't want anything to do with that. So we refer our employees out to our partner agency still, and they get VIP treatment, you know, because they know, okay, she's going to tell on us if we're not doing things well, but um, we refer surrogates out still because there are so many and we, and we couldn't possibly support them all. But the reason we even started our agency is because we had so many surrogates and we were like, I don't, I don't want to send her here, 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 or here because they have like, I know their intake process is backed up or I know they don't have, they're not going to be able to meet whatever it is that she's looking for. And so we decided to start our own matching program because the other agent, the perfect agency that we were looking for didn't really exist. And so we want to build it. And I never wanted to start an agency. When I got into this, I said, I'm never going to start an agency. I don't want to do that. And, um, Casey, my partner, she was like, we have to, you know, we have to do it. Somebody has to, it's, it, it needs to happen. And I wanted to wait until we felt like we were in a place where we had something to offer that was different than, than other people could find somewhere else at a more established agency that's been around for a longer time. And, uh, I didn't want to just do it to do it. So now I feel like having worked so intimately with so many agencies for the past three years and understanding kind of what their breaking points are and what their strengths are, we're able to kind of put all of that together and make a beautiful blend of what we love about what they do and change the things that we didn't like. And, and it'll continue to evolve as we grow. But right now we have 36 matches. We have four pregnant surrogates right now. And we have, I think, six going for embryo transfer next week, like in the next eight days. So everybody's going to be really exciting. And the parents are so excited because 
most parents don't know about us yet. I think when they do, they'll, they'll, we'll have more, but right now I think we might be the only agency that has a higher volume of surrogates than we necessarily do intended parents. But still, as soon as the surrogate's profile is ready, she's pre-screened and live for matching, we're able to find a, a quick match through some of our partners like Family Match Consulting and um, others that help intended parents find a good agency. So but, that's what you kind of answered the question. That's what I was going to ask. So I was curious where on your website you have a spot for intended parents. So those intended parents would funnel in to your agency specifically. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So we um, we just started that. We used to have a, a area on our website for agencies to come and be like, well, we would like to work with your surrogates. And then we'd have to go through this long vetting process for them. And so we got rid of that. We're not onboarding any new agencies. We've narrowed it down to six that we really love that we can still refer to if we have surrogates that we can't match. Um, and they are surrogates. They're, it's always a little bit sad because they really want to be a surrogacy as surrogate. And sometimes we're just not the right fit. And I'm not going to tell somebody sit here and wait, and we'll try to match you for a year when I know that you could go to New York surrogacy center and they're going to find a great match for you. Or, you know, what I know that they have other options that would be better and they can still have their advocates supporting them. So they can still be a surrogacy as surrogate, but um, yeah, not necessarily awesome. matching with our parents. So I'm kind of like going to go, I guess, in a different direction here, but you had mentioned just that your surrogates are pre-screened um, and they have like the medical clearance. Is that unique, something that you guys uniquely do? Or what does that process, I guess, look like? They don't have medical clearance. They don't, with, because you can't get medical clearance until you are matched with an intended parent and their IVF doctor has to be the one to, to screen you. But we do collect all of their medical records and we do have them all reviewed for anything concerning. And we send their records once we have um, identified a match and the parents have seen her profile and she's seen theirs and they both say, yes, we'd love to work together. We don't want to introduce them until the records have been approved by the IVF doctor, because it's so sad if you have a match meeting and you're like, I found my surrogate, she's the one. And your doctor says, no, actually she's not qualified. Um, and every doctor has different little things that they're looking for. That's interesting. I was going to ask you about that medical clearance. It's so it's unique. Yeah, it's not. I think a lot of agencies do it in different ways. Some agencies will have the parents and surrogate match and then send the records to the IVF center. And then you see that disappointment happen and it doesn't happen a lot, but if it happens 30% of the time that it doesn't work out, that's, it's painful for, it. so we just decided to have it done first. And I know other agencies do it like that as well. Um, but we don't do anything additional as far as like, we don't have them do labs or anything. We do have them get an updated pap smear and, and a clearance letter from their OB. So their OB has to sign off our medical clear, our clearance form saying, she hasn't had these complications. She's not high risk. This is her height, weight, BMI, and, and she's approved for um, a pregnancy and it's not unsafe for her. So those are the things that we have before she's ready for matching. That's really interesting. I was going to ask like if a listener, cause I, so we had posted recently uh, an intended parent family that's looking for a surrogate and we got a flood of, we want to do it. We want to do it. What are some like non-negotiables? Like for me, right. I've had numerous losses. I don't think I could be a qualified candidate, but I've, could you answer that for listeners? Are there like maybe four or five non-negotiables that you have to have X, Y, Z to be a surrogate? 
Yes, there are. And it's, it's so sad because I think there would be more women that want, there are so many women that want to do it, but can't for whatever reason. So a couple of those things would be one, you have to have your own children already. You can't have never been pregnant and never had kids. Um, if you have had losses, whether it's miscarriages or abortions, it can't be more than three. So if you've had four miscarriages, you won't medically qualify. Um, you have to be between the age of 21 and the ASRM guidelines say up to 45, but realistically, most IVF doctors and most intended parents aren't comfortable matching with a surrogate over 40. So 21 to 40 really is the range where it's easier to find a match. Uh, you can't be, you can't have any chronic mental health conditions. So if you've had any ongoing depression, bipolar disorder, any sort of personality disorder, surrogacy, and that whole process and it disrupting your medications for to help someone else is just not worth it. So that's not safe for if you have those chronic mental health conditions, um, drug use, of course, no drug use, no smoking, um, financial stability, I think is one that throws people off a lot. We get a lot of people that apply and they're really frustrated because they're on, um, cash assistance or they're living in government housing or something. And they're like, well, this would really change my life This, you know, I could do this. I'm good at carrying babies and I could do this and it's not fair. And it feels judgmental. But the reason behind the need for financial stability is because we don't want any woman to be doing surrogacy out of a place of desperation. And the money that you get, the compensation, it takes a long time that you could be going through your pre-screening and matching process and go through embryo transfers. And it could be a year before you ever see your first payment for compensation once you're pregnant. So that's really takes a lot, a lot of time missed from work. And then once you get the compensation, you have to re report that to your, your, you know, social worker or whoever it is that's your giving you this assistance. If you lose your government housing, most people don't realize it's really hard to get it back. So you could have this one-time compensation and it could leave you homeless at the end, you know, and I've always thought about that. That is a really good explanation because it's a, it's a big payment, um, especially for people that are on assistance. Yeah. And then you're not going to qualify for your health insurance and your food stamps and all that. And then, and then say you have a loss, you know, surrogates sometimes don't have a, a successful pregnancy and you have a loss and now those payments stop and you don't have your, your benefits. Like that's really scary position to put somebody in. So those are the reasons why financial stability is really important. Um, I think those are really the non-negotiables. BMI is another one. I think that's really sensitive um, because complications increase. If you have a higher BMI, like risks of gestational diabetes and gestational hypertension and other things like that are riskier when you're over a certain BMI. So the BMI requirement is usually between 19 to 30 or 32, depending on the doctor. So some doctors want it to be 30. Some are okay with 32. And there's even those that are up to 35 is okay if everything else looks good. But. Yeah. And so I, um, I think a lot of listeners understand what surrogacy, what the process looks like, but maybe some don't. I know I have some friends that haven't even like ventured into it, but yet they're like, I'm, I have all these embryos left and I'm just, I'm going to go to newborn adoption or, or something like that. Could you maybe walk listeners through 
these, this, because you've done it right. Personally, the surrogate process, it is IVF for that surrogate. Is that correct? Or IUI? It's, it's IVF. It's okay. never, well, I mean, traditional, traditional surrogacy, I, there's traditional surrogacy and there's gestational surrogacy. And I wish that they weren't called traditional and gestational. I wish it was called the old way and the new way. Yeah, you know? yeah, but, I know. Uh, most people don't do traditional surrogacy anymore. Um, because the traditional would be the, the surrogate's egg, right? As soon as I said, yes. IUI, I was thinking like, maybe if, yeah, I don't know why I was thinking IUI, but traditional is the, the surrogate has genetic material with the baby, but the new surrogacy or gestational carrier is the surrogate is not genetically related to right. the baby at all. Yeah. So you're just preparing your uterus for transfer of the intended parent's embryo, whether it's a, a donated embryo or um, a donor egg, and maybe you have two dads and they, and they have an egg donor, or you have a mom who didn't have good quality eggs and they have what, however they create their embryos. So even sometimes it's the mom and the dad themselves get to have their embryos and they just can't carry them for whatever reason. Um, then the surrogate has to go through IVF. So she does have to do all of those medications and you know how awful it is. <laughs> it's not a lot of fun. Um, we actually just had a podcast recently with a doctor, Dr. Levy, who does natural cycles exclusively. So there are doctors that are doing natural cycles, but the majority are doing fully medicated IVF for surrogacy. Okay. That's very interesting. And now that you have, I'm trying to make, to differentiate what surrogacy is, does, and doesn't do, but now that you have an agency, you walk the surrogate through that process as well. Right? Yes. So we actually, one of the things that is unique to us that we offer and we include in our agency fee is, um, consultation with an IVF nurse for when they do get that big box of medications, that's really overwhelming. And they're like, ah, <laughs> those are really big needles. Um, that's a lot. And we want the intended parents and the surrogate to feel confident going through an IVF cycle and it's overwhelming. And there's so many details and you don't want to make a mistake because you want to be successful and it's expensive. And so we have, um, a couple of outside resources where we have a nurse meet with her when she unboxes her medications, because the IVF clinics, unfortunately don't always make the time to do that with the surrogates. They don't always treat the surrogate, even like a patient. They're like, here you go. You're getting paid. Here's your medication. Do your job, figure it out. And, and I think like surrogates may even need more attention because people that have gone through infertility, they've slowly worked up to getting that big box of medication. And these surrogates are like, I've never even been in this world. And then they're jumping into like the big, big yeah. ones. And that makes parents nervous too, because sometimes you have a surrogate, maybe she's 24 and she's got two kids and she had them easy. And it was like, you know, and you're like, you have to trust this person to read this calendar and these medications and these measurements. And you know, like how important and how sensitive it is. So we have that consultation when they first get their medications to help them understand what they all do and uh, how to store them, which needles to draw up the medication with and which needles to inject with and, and then walk them through that first injection on video call. So they have that resource. And then if they forget, they can reach out to her anytime and say, actually, I forgot, you know, like the loop run, am I supposed to do it in the morning? Or if I, if I do it two hours late, is that okay? you know, somebody that they can ask all those questions to, because the IVF clinics are supposed to be available to answer those questions, but they're, they're usually not, unfortunately. 
right? We we haven't aired it yet. We just sure. had a guest on. I was gonna say we just had a guest on four one two fertility, and her whole business is that you know helping women with that process. She's a registered nurse and a fertility nurse and all that stuff, but it's a huge gap in this process. Yeah. And there's so much support that's needed. So that's awesome. I know the 412 fertility, I'm going to have to look into that because I know we're going to max out our, we're using, um, our, uh, IVF nurse, um, Natalie, she has a business called moonlight injections and we're using her services right now. And I know she's just a one, one man show, one woman show. So there's yeah. going to be a point where she's like, I can't support all of your surrogates. So I will be reaching <laughs> oh, out to your. Yes, you, you should. We'll, we'll air hers the same month that this, this airs, but she was, she was phenomenal. Um, I I've heard you've shared so much about the process and you've shared so much about your own journey. And of course the company, for listeners that are getting started on their journey of either surrogacy or as an intended parent, what would you recommend that they look for in an agency that maybe you identified was you didn't look for your first time, but I wish I would have? I think um, something that's really important that we don't think about is making sure that the agency has um, insurance that they have, you know, a good liability and errors and omissions insurance policy in place. And I say that first because there have been some incidences recently with agencies that I've heard about where um, the agency owners are maybe saying that they're putting their intended parents' money into an escrow account and then it doesn't make it into the escrow account and it goes missing and, you know, what recourse do you have if, you know, if you sue, if they're gone, you know, I think having a good insurance policy is important. I've never had anybody ask us for proof of our insurance, but before we even took on our first case, I had to shop for insurance for those things. Um, I think that's really important. People just assume that that companies are insured and have this liability protection and they don't. And I think another thing that's really important is to ask them, um, what is the volume of surrogates that they have coming in through their intake process? Because a lot of agencies have really long waiting lists right now. Um, I'm hearing on average 12 to 18 months, people are waiting. And a lot of agencies that I see are advertising a lot for intended parents, even though I know that they have waiting lists. But I know that they also take a really big deposit up front from an intended parent when they sign on. So the intended parent has to maybe pay half of the agency fee or a big chunk of a deposit, whether it's or even if it's five thousand dollars, it could be five thousand. It could be seventy thousand dollars that you're giving to the agency. And then they say, OK, wait for a year. Like, and you're locked in. I mean, that's actually, yes, I have a friend and she's locked in and she's like, they're saying it's like 18 months and we're only four months in, but then there's a friend that has reached out to do it, but I'm locked in. I've paid this deposit. Oh my goodness. It's like a financial hostage. It's yeah. and, and it, and it keeps you from exploring other avenues. And like I, when I was listening to your first podcast, you had wanted to have a plan A and a plan B and like backup plans for if this doesn't work, then I'm going to do this. But if you're stuck in that timeline, like 18 months is a long time. And just to get started, right? 18 months to get started. (laughs) To get started, or maybe even just to see a profile and be like, I don't know if she's the one, but then if you're sitting on a waiting list for 18 months and you see a profile, you might be like, 
okay, fine. I don't care if she doesn't check all the boxes. She's here and I want to get started. So then you're going to settle. And I think finding an agency that doesn't require you to pay a huge deposit up front and maybe has um, some exit strategy for you. If say six months down the line, you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to go another direction. Can I have my $70,000 back? Right. Um, because you haven't done anything for me at this point. Like, what have they done for you? I don't know why an agency should take an intended parent's money and sit on it for that. For what? I don't get it. So I think that's a really important thing for parents to look for. And for surrogates, what they should look for, I think, is what type of support the agency offers, what type of community, um, how they structure their benefits package, and how they match Um just making sure that if you're a surrogate who say you really are okay with leaving termination to the intended parents, but maybe you have a family member who has Down syndrome and you love, and you're like, you know what, no matter what, I wouldn't terminate for Down syndrome. Don't go with an agency that says, okay, we'll match you with intended parents that um, are testing their embryos. So you don't have to worry about Down syndrome. That's a compromise and a risk that no, you have to match with intended parents, not just because they're testing their embryos, but they also don't want to terminate for Down syndrome because testing's not a hundred percent and something could happen. And you don't want to be in a position where you are being asked to terminate a baby and you don't feel right about it because at the end of the day, you agreed in your contract that you were going to give the intended parents the right to make that decision. And wow, that's huge. I'm so glad you brought something like that up. Are there any other like really unique situations that happen maybe more common such as that, that people don't think about? I think COVID brought up a lot of things for matching because people have varying degrees of how afraid they are of COVID and how seriously they take um, protective measures becoming less of a thing now, but with the vaccine specifically, there's a lot of people that are not comfortable and don't trust the vaccine and don't want to get the vaccine. And IVF doctors recommend that it's safer for you to get it and you should get the vaccine and, um, intended parents for the most part, want to follow the guidance of their doctor. So there are all, there are those intended parents too who are also like you know what I don't trust the vaccine and I don't want to I won't I don't want a surrogate that's vaccinated so that's a, become a really big matching point and something that I see people compromising on or maybe a surrogate is getting the vaccine because it's taking her long to find a match um, and sh- I don't think anybody should do that I think you should not do something that you don't want to do. You should wait and find a parent who also doesn't want to vaccinate a surrogate because they're out there. It we might saw, just be a little bit more work to uh, find yeah. the right match. We but, saw that with adoption when I was active. I think I was active in 2022, maybe 2021. And ma- major agencies would say both intended parents have to be vaccinated. And it's a long story. My husband has an autoimmune disease. He chose not to, I chose to. And so we were like, it was almost like, I'm going to divorce you if you don't, (laughs) you don't get the vaccine. Cause like, I can't, we can't move forward, but that was a really big one as well. And it's very similar in terms of the agency's requirements. Yeah. There's a lot of agencies that won't even accept surrogates that aren't vaccinating for COVID because they have a harder time finding a match for them. But we've been successful finding matches for surrogates that are not vaccinated for COVID. But we'll be honest if we don't have, like if we're seeing a pattern where we're really not having parents that are comfortable with an unvaccinated surrogate, 
then we will let a surrogate know we don't, we're not going to be able to find you a match. So, but we do know we have this other agency that has a lot of parents coming through all the time that don't want vaccinated right. surrogates there for whatever reason. So we can always ask around and say, Hey, what's your trend? Are you able to match surrogates that are not vaccinated? And, and they'll tell us yes or no. And, and so we'll have a place for those surrogates to go. But I also don't think parents should compromise and be like, well, I really want a vaccinated surrogate, but it's so much faster to match if I just choose an unvaccinated surrogate. So I'm just going to take that risk. But then what if something happens and she gets COVID and, and it impacts your, and then you're going to wonder if she had been vaccinated, would this have happened? And then you're going to blame yourself and her and the resentment. And it's just not worth it. It's not worth it at all. I love how just, you're just, you're covering all the bases. And I think you, you know, you guys do that so well, cause you've been in those shoes, but really kind of on, on all sides. Um, okay. So, so much we've covered. I feel like we've just touched the surface. I really wanted to get into, and I don't think we'll have enough time. So maybe we'll do another episode is like the spouse. So I know your husband, Kyle was like, no, 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 no. And now isn't he like the president of or the vice yeah, president? He's our CEO and he's a biggest surrogacy like fanboy. He loves surrogacy. <laughs> he loved, loved our intended parents and loved like it. What's really funny is my husband and I, we've been together for 18 years, but I, and I have a 24 year old. So when we got together, my son was only six and we never had any children together, but we also later after my oldest moved out of the house, we ended up um, fostering and adopting his half sister. So my, um, I have a, a child that, that we've adopted and then, and then Kyle's never had any of his own children. So he'd never even seen me pregnant, like until I was pregnant with somebody else's babies. And he was really scared wow. of it yeah. and really like, just nervous. Like what's going to happen? Like, what if this is the thing that ruins our life? What if everything's fine and we're going along and then you do this and then you have a mental break and you just like, can't you, you miss, you know, you feel like you're attached to the babies. And I think men have a hard time comprehending that, um, we could carry a baby and not become attached to that baby because they, but they can't even fathom pregnancy altogether. Right. So it's not it to him. It just didn't make sense. He thought I would be hurt by it or that something would happen. And I would, and I would be hurt like by in my health or I would die or something. He's sure. always afraid of the worst case scenario. So we had to talk a lot about the risks and, and, and I had to talk to him about like, you know, every day I drive to work on the 67 in, in San Diego, it's like this back windy road it's so much more risky for me to drive on that road every day than it is for me to carry this pregnancy. But you've never said a word to me about driving that way instead of this way. You know, you were so, good at the beginning of the episode. You're like, I have to slowly work on him to get things done. And that, was, that was good. That was pretty good. He's like, that's true. Like, you know, some people are afraid of, of flying, but they drive all the time. Like you just have to put the risks into the right perspective. Yes, there are risks, but there's risks to everything that we do every day. So it, the reward, I think, is far greater. 
Well, I've learned a lot. Um, I'd love to leave kind of just listing your socials and then as well as kind of announcing the podcast that you guys just launched yeah. as well. I think, you know, if people are still interested in learning more about you, your husband, your team, the agency, your website, I mean, I could have spent two hours on there. It's beautiful. So I think if you want to start you. with your I'm, website. I, I have to be like more mindful of it because our website's always been geared towards surrogates. And I, I really want to incorporate more for intended parents, but it, surrogates, that's like what, I understand. So we're bringing more people onto our team that have experience as IPs and, you know, being parents through surrogacy or um, struggling with infertility, because I, it's so important to have somebody that can not only sympathize, but empathize with that. And so we want more people on our team that we need to develop that side. And I, I'm going to be making a lot of changes to the website really soon to help, you know, reach intended parents more and what they're looking for and not just surrogates so much. I think it was, yeah, I mean, as an intended parent, I mean, I'm not in the situation right now, but I thought it was so beautiful to hear the sur. You have several videos of surrogates and their partners sharing their experience. And that to me was like, so beautiful of, wow, I want to be a surrogate and, or, whoa, this is a really good option for me as an intended parent to kind of see the insides of it. So I thought that was That's beautiful helpful to hear. Thing. I'm glad I know you want to know who are these people that would sign up to do this, the crazy yeah. thing. <laughs> and it's, it's really neat to get the partner's perspective too. So your website, is it www.surrogacy.com? Okay. Dot is, dot is. Surrogacy.is. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, we'll add that in the show notes. And then you also have an Instagram and a podcast, right? Yes. So we have Instagram, we have a YouTube, um, and I'll get, I'll get you all those links, but I, I never remember if we did just at surrogacy is or at surrogacy dot is or anything for any of them. So we need to have more consistency in that, but well, if you're um, listening, we will have it on the posts on our Instagram page, as well as in the show notes, in the show notes on our website. Um, thank you so much for being with us. Is there any final words for any of our listeners? I think, um, the final thing I would want to just leave everybody with is there is a path to parenthood if you want, if you want it. And surrogacy is one of many beautiful options. And I think if it's something you want to do, we would love to help you, whether you want to become a surrogate and help somebody or you're an intended parent and you are jumping into this process for the first time. I think another thing that I didn't even mention before that we do differently at our agency is mental health support for intended parents. I think it's prioritized a lot for surrogates, but intended parents have a lot of trauma usually leading up to the point of requiring, you know, deciding that surrogacy is the way I'm going to build my family um, and making sure that you have a good support system in place and, and that you're prepared for the ups and downs and the rocky road of the journey and that you have a team supporting you. I, I just think is critical and, and leaning on those people and asking for the, the help when you need it. Um, I, and I think you'll get there, you'll get there and it'll be worth it. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed having you on and I'm very excited for our listeners to hear the show. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. For